This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the program today. This is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. I want to thank you to tuning in to Opening the Scriptures. Today we're going to continue our studies in the book of Job, and we're in chapter 21. And we're going to begin looking in verses 27, in verse 27, we'll go on through the end of the chapter. Now you might recall that uh, Zophar, back in chapter 20, had said that the wicked have all these consequences in their lives and things such as that, and he's blasting Job. Well, Job is answering Zophar's accusations with the facts of life. And when we get down to verse 27, Job here is going to show the falsity of his friend's argument by asking him how his loss, the things that have happened to him, are proof of his wickedness. And yet there are those wicked who are prosperous. And then does that make them righteous? And that's in verses 27 through 33. Well, Job, first of all, tells his friends that they still think he's a great sinner because of his afflictions. Verse 27 of chapter 21. It says, Behold, I know your thoughts and the devices which ye wrongfully imagine against me. Well, Job could tell that his friends were not satisfied and they still maintained their former position that he's suffering because of his evil, evilness. And he knows they're going to continue to wrongly accuse him because, you know, you can just think about it. Job's there speaking to him and you can look at people and tell how they're reacting to you whenever you're talking to them and he knows exactly what they're thinking. Well, Job says... They will ask him, where is his house? And say that it was taken away because of his sins. Verse 28. For ye say, where is the house of the prince? And where are the dwelling places of the wicked? All right. So Terium Hightower on page 240, the Spiritual Sword Lectureship Book, 16th Spiritual Sword Lectureship Book, says this, and I quote, Give us proof that we're wrong. Show us your the house still standing of a great and arrogant prince or the tent still occupied by a truly wicked man, unquote. Well, they're implying that Job's eldest son, whose house Job's children were killed in, must have been a rebellious sinner just like their father was or is because that house is destroyed. And what happens to the wicked Job? Well, Job says that anyone see, that sees the reality of life disagrees with their opinions. In Job 21, 29, and 30, it says there, Have ye not asked them that go by the way, and do ye not know their tokens, that the wicked is reserved to the day of destruction? they shall be brought forth to the day of wrath. Again, quoting Terium Hightower, this time from page 2 to 41, and I quote, The wider wisdom of people who have been around a little proves that you're tailoring or ignoring 
the available facts of human experience in order to fit them into the framework of your own theological ideas, unquote. Then Albert Barnes states this, and I quote, He is not punished as you maintain at once. He is kept with a view to future punishment, and though calamity will certainly overtake him at some time, yet it is not immediate. This was Job's doctrine in opposition to theirs, and in this he was undoubtedly correct. The only wonder is that they had not at all seen it sooner, and that it should have been necessary to make this appeal to the testimony of travelers, unquote. Well, in verse 31, Job insists that no one would openly charge the wicked man with his guilt. Verse 31, chapter 21. Who shall declare his way to his face? And who shall repay them, or repay him, what he hath done? Well, he's just simply saying here the wicked man is not always punished according to his behavior while on this earth, but is reserved for the day of wrath. And then he says in verses 32 and 33, When the wicked dies, he is brought to the grave and buried in sweet magnificence. Job 21, 32 and 33. Yet shall he be brought to the grave and shall remain in the tomb. The clods of the valley shall be sweet unto him, and every man shall draw after him as there are innumerable before him. Well, he's just saying the wicked man is going to die like any other man. And he had prepared for an honored and splendid funeral, everyone being around him. Adam Clark says concerning that verse, or those verses, and I quote, There seem to be two illusions intended here. One, to death, the common lot of all. Millions have gone before him to the tomb, and all men shall follow him. All past generations have died, all succeeding generations shall die also. Number two, to pompous funeral processions, multitudes preceding and multitudes following the corpse, unquote. And then quoting Terry M. Hightower from page 242, I quote again, Job adds, in bitter irony, that even the clods of the earth thrown on him shall be sweet unto him, thus causing death to lose half its horror. He is tucked into the earth and sweet flowers bloom on his grave. If Job's loss of power, prosperity, and fame prove him wicked as per his friend's theory, then Mr. Bad Guy's retraining such all the way to a perpetual care cemetery gravesite must likewise prove him to be a real righteous guy, unquote. Well, then Job in verse 34 of chapter 21 just simply says that the arguments of his friends are false. Verse 34. How then comfort ye be in vain, seeing in your answers there remaineth falsehood? Job's friends could not comfort him, 
because what they were saying about him and to him was false. They had ignored the facts of life and set forth their own opinions on why Job was suffering. Well, Job logically exposed that the friends' uh, opinions of his friends were wrong and they had treated him treacherously. The word falsehood there in verse 34 from the Hebrew word ma'al, Brown Driver Briggs, excuse me, defines this way, unfaithful or treacherous act, trespass. So Job's response to Zophar was to refute everything he said with the reality of life. All wicked people are not punished in the way that Job was, and not all righteous people live a life of splendor. Some wicked die in health and wealth, and some die in bitterness, the same way with the righteous. But Eliphaz was not ready to say that his arguments were unsound, and he's going to let Job know that in chapter 22. Well, Job argued again <clears throat> that the calamities of life come upon the unrighteous and the righteous indiscriminately. In that, Job shows that the argument his friends are using that not only the wicked face such calamities is wrong, he used the facts of life to prove his point. Eliphaz does not accept what Job has said, and he's going to attempt to show that Job's punishment does imply his guilt and give specific examples. But these examples are entirely made up. They do not apply to Job. So in Job chapter 22, verses 1 through 4, Eliphaz argues that God has no obligation to Job. Chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. Says then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, Can a man be profitable unto God as he that is wise may be profitable unto himself? Eliphaz tells Job, God is self-sufficient and he's not made better by man's righteousness. A wise man may use his wisdom to promote himself, but he is of no advantage to God. And then in verse, 20, uh, verse 3 of chapter 22, Eliphaz says, Job, you do not enhance God at all. Job 22.3 Is it any pleasure to the Almighty that thou art righteous? Or is it gain to him that thou makest thy ways perfect? Notice, thou makest thy ways. You see, this is the same idea Eliphaz brought up in verse 2. God does not gain or lose anything by the righteousness or the wickedness of a man. Then Eliphaz tells Job that it is not on account of Job's righteousness that he's being punished, but because of his great wickedness. Job 22, verse 4 says, Will he reprove thee for fear of thee? Will he enter with thee into judgment? Now, the American Standard Version puts it this way, Job 22, 4. Is it for thy fear of him that he reproveth thee, that he entereth in with thee into judgment? So that brings us to two points of view on this verse.
the first is, the King James rendering, is God afraid that if he harms Job, Job he's going to cause him some injury? Or the second one, American Standard, is it because of Job's righteousness that God is punishing him? Eliphaz is saying this makes no sense at all. And then Eliphaz accuses Job of specific terrible sins in Job 22, 5 through 9. Starting in verse 5, Eliphaz accuses Job of great wickedness that is continuing even now. Job 22, 5. Is not thy wickedness great, thine iniquities infinite? Adam Clark says that Eliphaz is saying, quote, Thy sins are not only many, but they are great, and of thy continuance in them there is no end, unquote. You see, Job's friends had not really come out directly before and charged him with great sin. Well, again, no facts are presented, only that Job is suffering greatly and that because of that, then Job has to be wicked. Eliphaz now begins some specific things. In verse 6, Eliphaz accuses Job of abusing those who needed financial aid. Job 22, 6. For thou hast taken a pledge from thy brother for naught, and stripped the naked of their clothing. Very specific. Well, Albert Barnes, speaking of this verse, states this, and I quote, The only evidence which Eliphaz seems to have, have had of this was that this was a heinous sin, and that as Job seemed to be severely punished, it was to be inferred that he must have committed some such sin as this. No way of treating an unfortunate and a suffering man could be more unkind. A pledge is that which is given by a debtor to a creditor for security for the payment of debt and would be, of course, that which was regarded as of value. Garments which constituted a considerable part of the wealth of the Orientals would usually be the pledge which was given, unquote. So Eliphaz is saying, you stripped them naked. You, you, you're a horrible man, Job. Now, Eliphaz continues with these specific sins he's accusing Job of in verse 7. He accuses Job of refusing nourishment to those who were thirsty and hungry. Verse 7, chapter 22. Thou hast not given water to the weary to drink, and thou hast withholden bread from the hungry. In other words, Job, you have refused hospitality to others. A great offense of high obligation. That's why you're suffering so much, Job. You've had such great loss. Eliphaz in verse 8 says that Job was a mighty man and that he used his position to afflict others. Verse 8. But as for the mighty man, he had the earth and the honorable man dwelt in it. Adam Clark says this concerning the verse, and I quote, 
literally the man whose face is accepted, the respectable man, the man of wealth, thou wert an enemy to the poor and needy, but thou didst have favor and flatter the rich and great, unquote. So in other words, Job, those you felt were below you, you treated unfairly. But those that you felt were on the same level as you, you flattered them, you hypocrite. Well, Eliphaz in verse 9 accuses Job of being evil toward widows and orphans. Job 22, 9. Thou hast sent widows away empty, and the arms of the fatherless have been broken. Job, Eliphaz is saying, you are a hard-hearted and cruel man. You have made yourself rich by taking from the poor, from the defenseless, from the widows. You're horrible. That's why you're being punished. In verses 10 and 11, Eliphaz says that Job's great suffering is because of his great sins. In verse 10, Eliphaz says that because of all the horrible sins that he is suffering now, it's because you're wicked. Verse 10. Therefore, snares are round about thee, and sudden fear troubleth thee. In other words, he's saying God is dealing with you through his retributive providence. You're getting what you deserve, Job. Adam Clark states this, and I quote, There's an allusion here to the hunting of an elephant. He is driven into an enclosure in the woods, passing from straight to straight, till brought into a narrow point from which he cannot escape. And then his consternation is great and his roaring terrible. God hath hunted thee down as men hunt down those wild and dangerous beasts, unquote. In verse 11 of chapter 22, Eliphaz says that darkness covers Job with calamities and waters cover him with troubles because of his great wickedness. Job 22:11. Or darkness that thou canst not see an abundance of waters cover thee. In other words, your flood of troubles are the consequences of your evil actions, Job. In verses 12 to 20, Eliphaz compares Job to those who died in the flood of Noah's day. First of all, in verses 12 through 14, Eliphaz tells Job that Job's defense implies that God is ignorant of what is happening on the earth, verses 12 to 14. Is not God in the height of heaven, and behold the height of the stars, how high they are? And thou sayest, how doth God know? Can he judge through the dark cloud? Thick clouds are covering him that he seeth not, and he walketh in the circuit of heaven. Eliphaz is saying here, Job, you need to acknowledge the omniscience of God, his all knowledge there. God knows what's going on, the earth, going on on the earth and you're suffering because God knows the evil that you have done. 
Eliphaz claims to be quoting Job. But that's not what Job said. Go back a couple of places here. Let's look at, first of all, Job 9.22. Job chapter 9, verse 22. <clears throat> Here it is. It says, This one thing, therefore, I said it, he destroyeth the perfect and the wicked. All right, they all die. And then in Job 21, look at verses 23 and 25. Job 1, 23. One dieth in his full strength, being wholly at ease and quiet. Verse 25, and another dieth in the bitterness of his soul, and never eateth in pleasure, or with pleasure. So right there, Eliphaz claims to be quoting Job there in verses 12 to 14, but that ain't what Job said. Well, Eliphaz tells Job to look back at the flood and see what happened to the wicked people there. Job 22, 15, and 16. Hast thou marked the old way which wicked men have trodden, which were cut down out of time, whose foundation was overflown by, with a flood? Albert Barnes says this concerning the verse, and I quote, Hast thou seen what has happened in former times to wicked people? Job had maintained that God did not deal with people in this world according to their character. To meet this, Eliphaz now appeals to ancient facts and especially refers to the deluge when the wicked were cut off by a flood for their sins, unquote. So Eliphaz is saying, Job, you're saying this. Wait a minute, look back at the flood. Did God do anything to the wicked in the flood, Job? And... Eliphaz tells Job in verse 17 that he's just like those wicked people before the flood. Job 22:17, which said unto God, Depart from us, and what can the Almighty do for them? You know, he's saying you got the same attitude that they had, and they were destroyed completely. You think about this, Job. You're not destroyed completely. You're still alive. God's giving you time to repent. Well, and then again, Eliphaz tries to use Job's own words against him. Chapter 22, verse 18. Yet he filled their houses with good things, but the counsel of the wicked is far from me. Albert Barnes says, quote, this is the very language of Job. Job 21, 16. It is here used sarcastically. Far from me, you say, be the counsel of the wicked. Thus you defend them and attempt to show that they are the favorites of heaven. You attempt to prove that God must and will bless them. Far from me, say I, be the counsel of the wicked. With them I have no part, no lot. I will not defend them. I will not be their advocate, unquote. Well, let's look at Job 21, 16 that he refers to here. 
It says, Lo, their good is not in their hand. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. Well, Eliphaz here is trying to tell Job, you're defending the wicked. I am not going to do that. I will not follow their counsel like you are, Job. You're defending them. I'm not going to do that. I'm not like you. I'm not going to advocate for them. Well, then Eliphaz claims that the righteous live long enough to see the wicked get what they deserve. Job 22:19. The righteous see it and are glad. The innocent laugh them to scorn. Well, Eliphaz is trying to look at the righteousness of other times, but he's also trying to justify his own conduct toward Job. Who do you think he's calling righteous here? Himself, the righteous. I'm among the righteous, Job. The innocent, laugh them to scorn. The word laugh them to scorn, la'ag, means to mock, deride, ridicule. Now you think about this. Guess who Eliphaz thinks the innocent are and who the guilty is? You don't think? Maybe he's, he and his three friends are, or two friends are the innocent. And Job is the wicked one being laughed to scorn, being ridiculed. Well, Eliphaz tells Job that we who fear the Lord still have our wealth and our health. Chapter 22, verse 20. Whereas our substance is not cut down, but the remnant of them the fire consumeth. Job, the fire consumed your wealth. Go back to Job chapter 1 verse 16. Job chapter 1 verse 16. It says, While he was yet speaking, there came also another saying, The fire of God is fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. All right, Job, what happened to your wealth? Oh, it was burned up. Well, those who still fear God still have their wealth and health. And you know that also, being burned up, there may be a reference to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah as well. Well, then Eliphaz tells Job to repent and things will get better. And this is from chapter 22, verses 21 down to verse 30. In verse 21, Eliphaz again makes an appeal for Job to repent. Acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto thee. Eliphaz feels that Job is not even familiar with God and he, he needs to get to know God. You need to get to know God, Job. And you will not have any peace until you get to know God. And if Job is reconciled to God, then God would bestow great blessings on him. You just need to repent, Job, of all this wickedness. Well, Eliphaz pleads with Job to listen to God's commands and obey them. Verse 22. 
Receive, I pray thee, the law from his mouth, and lay up his words in thine heart. In other words, Job, you need to embrace God's truth, and, and don't forget it. Let God influence your feelings instead of your greed. Let God have control of you and not your greed for wealth and fame and things like that. Then Eliphaz instructs Job to return to God and put evil far away from him. Job 22:23. If thou return to the Almighty, thou shalt be built up, and thou shalt put away iniquity far from thy tabernacles. Well, you know, that advice is good, but it's wrongly applied to Job. Eliphaz tells Job, you're going to get back your prosperity if you repent. And in verse 24, Eliphaz tells Job he'll get back his wealth if he repents. Then shalt thou lay up gold as dust and the gold of Ophir as the stones of the brooks. Ophir was a gold-producing city in ancient times and a figure of untold wealth. Job, all you need to do is repent. Well, Eliphaz tells Job to let God be his reward and not all this ill-gotten gain that you have. Verse 25. Yea, the Almighty shall be thy defense, and thou shalt have plenty of silver. Well, the word defense there, betzer, Hebrew word, and Brown Driver Briggs defines that word this way. Gold, precious ore, ring gold. The literal translation puts the verse this way. Yea, the Almighty shall be your gold and silver, a tower to you. The American standard puts it this way. And the Almighty will be thy treasure and precious silver unto thee. So in other words, Eliphaz is telling Job, let God be your gold. Let God be your treasure, not these earthly things. And again, that's good advice, but it doesn't apply to Job. Well, in verses 26 and 27, Eliphaz says that the result of Job's, if he repents, if he'll just do that, would be delight in the Lord and his prayers would be answered. Job 22, 26, and 27. For then shalt thou have thy delight in the Almighty, and shalt lift up thy face unto God. Thou shalt make thy prayer unto him, and he will hear thee, and thou shalt pay thy vows. Again, Eliphaz is going something that, back to something that Job said earlier, there in chapter 19, verse 7. Job 19, verse 7. Job says there, Behold, I cry out of wrong, but I am not heard. I cry aloud, but there is no judgment. So Job is saying, God is not hearing my prayer. Eliphaz says, Repent, and he will. Come on, Job, wake up. 
And then in verse 28, Eliphaz tells Job that if he repents, Job's purposes and plans will not be unfulfilled, unfulfilled as they are right now. Job 22:28. Thou shalt also decree a thing, and it shall be established unto thee, and the light shall shine upon thy ways. He's saying, Job, you'll prosper. You won't be overtaken by calamities as you are now if you will just turn to God. In verse 29, he takes a little different approach. He says, when others are brought down, Job, you'll be able to help them if you'll just turn to God. Verse 29, when men are cast down, then thou shalt say, there is a lifting up and he shall save the humble person. So Job, you, you can use yourself as an example. When the wicked are cast down by God, you can, you can encourage them to repent just as you did and be blessed in the end. See there, Job, how much help you can be to others if you'll just repent and you can show them what it's like to be thrown down by God and then to be lifted up once you have turned back to him. And then he says in verse 30, Job, you will be able to deliver one, to deliver one that is not innocent by the pureness of your hands. Verse 22, uh, chapter 22, verse 30. He shall deliver the island of the innocent, and it is delivered by pureness of thine hands. The word island there, found it interesting, Brown Driver Briggs says the definition of this word here, a, or something like that, <laughs> means not. It means not. The literal translation puts this verse this way. He shall deliver one not innocent and will deliver by the cleanness of your hands. Young's literal translation says, He delivereth the not innocent. Yea, he hath been delivered by the cleanness of thy hands. Or in other words, Eliphaz is saying, Job, you will be able to deliver others from the same fate that you are enduring right now if you will only repent. So Eliphaz, point blank, accuses Job of horrible sins. Well, how are you going to expect to get anyone to repent after such untruthful, unbased accusations? But he still believes that Job is a horrible sinner and he needs to repent to be prosperous again, get right with God. He encourages Job to repent so he can help others out of the same consequences that Job is suffering now. Wayne Jackson stated on page 58 of his work, the book of Job, and I quote, Little did Eliphaz realize at this time that he was almost prophetic. Job does intercede for his three misguided friends. See Job 42, 7 through 10, unquote. Well, Job is going to respond here in chapter 23 and chapter 24. 
So let's begin now looking at chapter 23. Well, as we've mentioned, Job just, or excuse me, Eliphaz just made some severe accusations against Job. He pleaded with Job to get right with God and be able to help those that were cast down because of sin in their lives, be a great example and a great help to them. Well, Job is not going to reply to the specific accusations that were made against him. Job is preoccupied with what he feels is the injustice God is doing to him and in the world in general by allowing the wicked to prosper and he being punished so severely while living a righteous life. We see Job's bitterness in chapter 23, verses 1 and 2. Then Job answered and said, Even today is my complaint. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Well, Job here admits that his complaint has been bitter, but he feels that God's punishment on him is greater than his complaint. Adam Clark says this, and I quote, Job goes on to maintain his own innocence and shows that he has derived neither conviction nor consolation from the discourse, discourses of his friends. He grants that his complaint is bitter, but states that loud as it may be, the affliction which he endures is heavier than his complaints are loud, unquote. And then in verses three through seven of chapter 23, Job seeks an audience with God. First of all, Job wants to plead his case before God in verse 3, chapter 23. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I want to find God. I want to come to him. I want to discuss some things with him, find out why this is happening. And then Job says in verse 4, if he could plead his case before God, he would argue his case. Verse 4, I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Job says he's, he's, he wants to plead his cause before God and make his defense just as one does in a court of law, a court of justice. Job says if that would happen, he would listen to what God had to present in God's case. Let's look first, let's look now at Job 23 verse 5. He said, I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say unto me. So he's saying that he would listen to God's explanation of what is happening to him, why it's happening to him, and he's affirming that God would listen to him. But Job does not believe God would overwhelm him, but would listen to him and strengthen him. Job 23, verse 6. Will he plead against me with his great power? No, but he would put strength in me. So 
Job believes that God would pay attention to what he had to say and would strengthen him. Well, Job believes that if he can take his case before God, he would be heard and that he would receive proper justice. Job 23, verse 7. There, the righteous might dispute with him, so, or in, li- in that way, should I be delivered forever from my judge. So Job believes his innocence would be declared by God, and Job would be delivered from the accusations of his judge, his three friends. But in verses 8 and 9 of Job 23, Job says, I cannot find God. Job 23, 8 and 9. Behold, I go forward, but he's not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doeth or doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. Job looks in every direction but he can't find God to present his case before him. It seemed to Job that God had hidden himself from him. Well, Job knows that God would vindicate him. Job 23, 10-12. First of all, in verse 10, Job affirms that God knows his life and that when God tried him, he would be like gold tried in a crucible. In other words, pure. Job 23.10 But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Job believes that the truth of his character would come forth after all the tests that God had applied to him were accomplished. And then Job declares his innocence in verse 11. My foot hath held his steps, his way have I kept, and not declined. Job is saying he has held fast to God's commands, he has not gone against God's commands at all. So he doesn't understand why all these things are happening to him. Well, in verse 12, Job says he considers God's commands more important than food. Job 23, verse 12. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. That's how important God's commands were to him. Job had not been preoccupied with worldly treasure as he had been accused. God was his treasure. And what was it that Jesus said there when he was tempted? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God when he was tempted by the devil there in Matthew chapter 4. Well, Job says in Job 23 verses 13 to 17, God will not turn. God will not change. In verse 13, Job says, God does as he pleases. Job 23, 13. 
but he is in one mind, and who can turn him? And what his soul desireth, even that he doeth. So right there, Job assumes that God is the one causing his problems, and he must have some purpose for what he is doing, but he wants to understand it. He doesn't understand. Job is attributing his adversity to God, but he is not accusing God of doing evil. In verse 14 of chapter 23, For he performeth the thing that is appointed for me, and many such things are with him. Albert Barnes states this concerning the verse, and I quote, I am now meaning only what he has determined by his eternal plan. I know not what is the reason why it was appointed, but I see that God hath resolved to do it and that it is vain to resist him, unquote. And then Job says in verse 15, the mystery of God's workings terrify him. Job 23:15. Therefore am I troubled at his presence when I consider I am afraid of him. Job can't see an end to his suffering and he's fearful of what is going to happen to him. Well, Job says that God has taken away his courage and left him a prey to terror in verse 16 of Job 23. For God maketh my heart soft. American Standard Version says faint. And the Almighty troubleth me. Again, the American Standard Version says the Almighty hath terrified me. Adam Clark says about the verse, quote, prostrates my strength, deprives me of courage, so that I sink beneath my burden, and I am troubled at the thought of the Almighty, the self-sufficient and eternal being, unquote. Well, then Job complains that God did not allow him to die before all these afflictions came upon him. Job 23:17. Because I was not cut off before the darkness, neither hath he covered the darkness from my face. Well, Job is here. You think about what he's saying here. Kenneth L. Jones in the 16th Spiritual Sword Lectureship book there on page 255 states this, quote, He did not allow Job to die before the great darkness of suffering came upon him. He did not provide loving care and protection from the great affliction, unquote. So here, Job is not really focusing on what Eliphaz had accused him of. He's focusing on God. He wants to come before God. He wants to, 
He wants to bring his arguments before God. He wants to listen to why God is doing these things to him. He knows God has to have a purpose in doing that. But he doesn't understand it. And he, he just doesn't know why these horrible things, why, why didn't you allow me to die before all this happened to me? Again, we know the reason why all these things are happening to Job, and that is Satan. Again, all too often, whenever bad things happen in life, people blame God. Why don't we blame the one who's really behind it? Satan. Now, it may be because we've sinned in this life and we're getting what the, re the results of that sin are, what the consequences are, but you really go back to it. Satan is the one behind it because we did what Satan wanted us to do. Well, we're going to stop right there in our lesson today. And Lord willing, next time we'll take up chapter 24 and we'll continue looking at what Job uh, has to say there. And again, this is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. I want to thank you for tuning in to be with us today. And we look forward to being with you next time. Thank you for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Wave Media by visiting us at BibleWaveMedia.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We thank you for listening.